Hello, welcome to the Wednesday, December 18th, 2019 edition of the Sands and the Storm Center's Stormcast. My name is Johannes Ulrich, and today I'm recording from Jacksonville, Florida. I took a closer look today at the DNS over HTTPS implementation between Firefox and Cloudflare and published some sort of uh, initial results of some experiments here. First of all, about identifying these connections. Now, the idea here is, of course, that if you don't necessarily know the IP address the user is connecting to, for example, they're using their own DNS over HTTPS endpoint well uh, yes uh, you can sort of profile the connections and figure out that they're probably doing dns over https one sort of giveaway is that the payload sizes for the tcp packets with dns over https are a lot smaller on average than the ones for regular HTTPS traffic. Regular HTTPS traffic, if you're downloading files and such, you're typically downloading more data for a particular request, which means that pretty much the segment size, so the amount of data being sent in each packets fills the entire MTU. So it's around 1400 plus bytes of payload length. For DNS over HTTPS, you typically deal with shorter transactions. So what you will see is shorter packets, typically less than 500 bytes in length. And an interesting sort of uh, three spike pattern here that I found when I looked at the size frequency, we'll probably have more about this on Thursday, including how to decode some possible queries and the like that maybe send over HTTPS. Right now I'm focusing a little bit on the Firefox to Cloudflare connection because that's sort of the most common and uh, most uh, mature implementation at this point probably, but also looking at other implementations to see if I see different issues. And Vice had some penetration testers take a closer look at the security of ring cameras. This comes at the tail of a number of reports where users of ring cameras found that attackers had access to their cameras. Now, the way this typically happens is by an attacker logging in via a ring's portal. And of course, the root cause here is that users pick weak passwords, but well, we know users always pick weak passwords. So Ring does offer two-factor authentication and offers that as a fix for uh, these issues. But Vice now took a look at, well, what else Ring could be doing in order to provide better security that's maybe a little bit less intrusive than, for example, using two-factor authentication, which is still a challenge for a lot of users. What I found, for example, is that Ring doesn't even have sort of that simple, sometimes called one and a half factor authentication, where there's a cookie on your system. And if you log in from a new system, you do have to go through some additional procedure or maybe an SMS message on email is being sent to the account holder telling them, hey, some new user registered for your camera. This is pretty easy to implement and easy, of course, on the user 
nothing the user has to do. Yes, lots of things that can go wrong with this scheme, uh, but it does add another level of security and of course does prevent some of these simple password guessing attacks. In addition, there appears to be no way for a user to sort of get a login history from Ring. Like that's another sort of way how you can check, hey, is anybody sort of abusing uh, my camera? Who else is connected to it? So this would be another thing that wouldn't really sort of overburden users and would be something that Ring could use uh, to help out its users. It's really one of those things where companies really want to make their products as easy to use as possible because after all, that's usually the driver for sales. For Ring, it may be now in the stage where it turns a little bit against them with all the bad news about how their cameras are getting abused. And in many ways, I think this is sort of a little bit where the IoT security issues are developing when it comes particularly to these home-based devices. They're typically behind some kind of NAT firewall. So a lot of the direct attacks really don't matter so much, but all of these devices are connecting back to some kind of cloud service. And that now sort of turns out to be the real weakness for these devices. And Checkpoint found an interesting denial of service vulnerability in WhatsApp. What it really required was just to set one parameter in a message to null, which triggered a null pointer exception. And the end effect was that WhatsApp would not only crash, but it couldn't restart because whenever it restarted, it saw that message and it would immediately crash again. This would also then delete any messages that were written in groups. So they were not recoverable if a user was hit by this bug. WhatsApp has fixed this problem now. So just make sure you update. Well, and that's it for today. Thanks again for listening and talk to you again tomorrow. Bye.